Hello and welcome to Connect Learning. It's March 26, 2005. Glad you're cold as bad days. Pickle those ivories. Talk to some teachers and talk about education again in the 21st century. Okay, I'm back in the McCall Files, but before we head up to Detroit, I want to tell a story. If you're a teacher, you may have heard this before. However, parents and non-educators may not have considered this issue. Seymour Papert, who's a researcher at MIT and a proponent of something called constructivist learning, used to tell this story to help people understand, well, let me just tell the story and you figure it out. Now, let's say that we have a surgeon working in his operating room in a hospital in 1855, and suddenly, with flashing lights and whooshing wind, he's transported into an operating theater of 2005. How well would this professional be able to pick up where he left off? Well, not at all. The entire environment has changed, especially the technology. And this has completely redefined the job. Now let's take a school teacher in that same year teaching his English literature. And suddenly, riding those same pulsating lights, he lands in a classroom in 2005. How much has the classroom changed in that 150 years? Well, certainly there have been some changes. And since 1994, when Papard first told the story, there have been many more. But could that teacher pick up where he left off with his lecture on Macbeth, continuing to do his job? Certainly. Even with the addition of new technologies in most of our classrooms, the job has changed very little. We're using computers and the internet, but at best, we're merely replacing the pencil with a word processor and using the internet as a fancy encyclopedia. This may not alarm you. You may well feel that the education that serves you should serve your children just as well. However, one thing is very different today. For the first time in history, we are preparing our children for a future that we cannot clearly describe. For my generation and all the generations before, we've had a very good idea of what our children would be doing 10 years from now, 20 years from now, even 30 years from now, but not today. Things are changing too fast, and the dialogue that we need to be having as professional educators, the dialogue we need to be having as a society, is what do children need to be learning today in order to be ready for an unpredictable future, and how should they be learning it? One of the core problems to meeting this challenge is is that educators, the act of being a teacher, remains probably the most isolated profession in the books. Just think about it. Do surgeons spend all of their time in the operating room? No. She's planning, organizing, researching, collaborating, developing new skills. Does a lawyer spend all of his time in front of a jury? 
No, he's planning, organizing, researching, collaborating, developing new skills. Teachers, however, still spend a vast majority of their on-the-job time in the classroom teaching. The teacher workday has simply not changed since I was a student 40 years ago. Consider this. Does a factory worker spend all of his time on the assembly line? Yes. What does this say about education? It's still an assembly line job. My point today is that this will not change until teachers have the time, the resources, the confidence, and the professional freedom to retool their classrooms for 21st century teaching and learning. A few educators once a year are able to leave their classrooms to attend conferences. And these events, especially educational technology conferences, help those teachers to consider new ways for children to learn, to construct their own knowledge using powerful information tools in imaginative ways. I talked to a number of these teachers in, in McCall, and I will continue to interview professional educators because unless we can unleash their voices, their imaginations, their passions for helping children to learn, then those of us in my country just may not make it because all we're doing is just a better job of preparing our children for the 1950s. So let's head up to Detroit for the second day of the McCall Conference. ready to do a session on blogs and wikis and a bunch of other stuff and I'm sort of wandering around in the uh, audience and I found a young man who doesn't have his name tag on so I'm going to ask him either to introduce himself or not introduce himself but tell us who you know what you do and why you're here at the conference. My name is Aaron Wiesner and I teach middle school computer classes and the reason I'm here at the conference is I think it's important that teachers know what the technology is and what the new technology is and stuff changes every year and how that technology can be used with the students to help them learn better more efficiently and to think better. Do you have the technology in your schools in order to do this the way you think your students deserve? Well what we have currently in our school, our middle schools, we have um, enough computers about 30 computers in our media center and we have one computer lab which is where I'm at and I have the kids for maybe 12 weeks to teach them how to type and use PowerPoint and stuff like that. What we're looking at for next year is having a mobile, a mobile lab of laptops so that the other teachers could get computers into their classrooms. What will these teachers be able to do in their classrooms that they can't do today in, in terms of the kids future? You know, why is it so important for students to have this kind of access to technology to prepare them for their future? That's a big question. <laughs> well, I think the most important part of having the laptops in the classrooms is that some kids really don't use computers in an educational way. They might use them for games, they might use them for chatting with their friends, but they don't use computers to learn things and to find things out. And so the more we can get the kids in a learning environment using computers, the more they are going to be effective learners. Thank you very much. And I have just uh, met a wonderful educator by the name of Sheila. And uh, Sheila is very happy to be here at this conference. And, uh, and I want to ask Sheila the same question. You know, why, are, why are you here at this conference? Mm -hmm. 
I come to the McCall Conference every year because I think it's a great opportunity for teachers to gather, not only to network and to share common interests, but to also receive professional development to be able to continually learn to stay on top of where everyone else in the world is and to be able to teach our students to do the same, always gleaning new ideas and being challenged at the same time. Outstanding. Now, let me ask you another question. If you could have brought someone with you to the conference who is not here, who would you have brought and why? I would have brought some classroom teachers. I'm a tech coordinator and um, I have an awesome love for technology, obviously, and I wish more classroom teachers could have come. Um, finances don't allow it, and sometimes interest level as well. Okay, so you have teachers in the schools who are not interested in technology? Interested in technology, but they have so many other interests that they probably prioritize going to those conferences over going to a technology conference. I see. Thank you. Now, when I walked back here, you had this little gadget in your hand. What What were you doing? Um, and, and what is that? <laughs> I have a pocket PC in my hand, and I'm killing time, and I was just playing a game. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. And there is a young woman sitting here on the stage looking like she's waiting for me or somebody. You're Mary. Mary Jane, yeah. And what do you do, Mary? I'm the Director of Instructional Technology for Wayne Westland School. Oh, excellent. I've been here. I've been to Westland School. We had dinner last summer, remember? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, what are uh, what are you doing sitting up here on my stage? I'm supposed to introduce you. Ah, okay. You're supposed to introduce me. What are you yes. going to say about me? Um, I'm going to say the uh, things that they gave me on the full slip of paper, but then I'm going to add that I had dinner with you, and I think the best thing I can say about you is that you really made me think. Okay. I made you think. That's you a really fine, did. fine compliment. Um, uh, do you always come to this conference? Uh I have since I've lived in Michigan. Where did you live before that? I lived in Ohio. They have a conference too. Did you ever go there? Uh, no, I didn't. Before that, I lived in Pennsylvania. They have a good conference there too? Yep. Um, if you could have brought anyone to this conference who is not here, who would you have wanted to come to this conference with you and why? Um, I want a high school principal from our district to come a particular high school principal. Uh, well, we but I really no, no. I would really like all the principals in my district to come. Uh huh. Because um, they're the hole in the uh, process of getting teachers to use technology in our district. The hole. Yeah. Okay. As in, when when really they should be the linchpin. Yeah, but that spins it all into effect. That's right. It didn't happen. Hi. How are you? I'm good. And what's your name? Sure. I'm doing a podcast. Oh, Tanisha Branson, you want Tanisha, yeah, that's good, Tanisha. Tanisha walked up here, and she's got a blue jacket on, which means that she is an official here at this conference. Tanisha, uh, what can I do for you? <laughs> I was checking to see if your equipment's working okay. Uh, yes, yes, I'm in good shape. Okay. So you go around and make sure that our equipment's working. Yep, before the session starts, and then... You know how important that is in a technology conference? Very important, I assume. You're an important person. Oh, I feel so, <laughs> What do you do for a living? I work with Western Michigan University conferences and seminars. Oh, so this is what you do. You 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 uh, do conferences. Uh, why conferences? Why, what's so important about conferences? 
Well, it informs people of um, a lot of different information that they need to know. This is kind of on the spot. I know. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll, ta I'll take you well, off the spot. Yeah, you know, I don't like this either. <laughs> I, I just I can't. If I'm sitting in my office trying to talk, I can't think of what to say. But if I'm in front of people, this I is kind of yes, I know. Well, thank you very, very much. And yes, my technology is working wonderfully. I'm sitting here at the book signing, and I have a row of about 50 people standing here in front of me getting ready to buy my book and asking me to sign their book for them. And, uh, and I just had a wonderful conversation with Diane Bennett, who is a uh, teacher of special ed, specifically uh, hearing-impaired students, and she was telling me about the impact of instant messaging on, on how these kids communicate. So I'm going to hand the iPod over to her and let her tell you that story that she just told me. Thank you, David. Hi, I'm, this is exciting for me, my first uh, podcast involvement, but anyway, I work with, I'm going to move a little bit away from this crowd of people signing David's book, uh, get the book signing, but anyway, I work with hearing impaired students and had just come out of his uh, workshop on literacy and realizing that our lives are changing so fast and teaching lives are changing that we don't, we can't teach the same way we taught yesterday. Um, today and one of the things I was talking to him was wrapping my head around instant messaging and what I was telling him was the story of my deaf niece even though I work with hearing impaired students uh, my, my deaf niece came to visit and she had these four different conversations going on on instant messenger with her friends and she was laughing and carrying on I walked over to see talking to somebody about uh, what it's like to have braces in your mouth and what it feels like but I was telling David also that I noticed that now I started using instant message with my students that a deaf student can sit next to a hearing student and be on instant messenger and it totally eliminates the need for an interpreter there between the two. And I think that instant messaging has just opened up a whole new world for deaf students especially and I would think for the whole deaf community. And I think that what we need to do is be aware of that as teachers and bringing something that, as an English teacher, we sort of shudder, because I do a lot of teaching of English with my students, the, all the U's and the R's and the LOL's and the BRB's. But being aware that that's a language itself, and when you talk about deaf students, their language... Um, when you're talking about American Sign Language, ASL, it is a language that doesn't have any extraneous information, those uhs and thes and things like that that don't exist for them. So I think that that, trying to keep my mind open and incorporating instant messaging into how I teach is something I'm trying to do. Um, this is sort of exciting for me. I hope that I can uh, stay in touch with David and love his uh, his ideas and everything he has to offer and go out and get your hands on redefining literacy for the 21st century. It'll help put David's son through college. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. Was that fun? No. I'll just wait till I get this on GarageBand and then we'll let it be a surprise. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, that was a lot of fun, and uh, just so you know, there were never 50 people in front of me buying my book, but it, it, was a, it was a lot of fun getting to know some people, talking to some, some of the conference attendees. And Diane told a very important story, because the fact of the matter is we, we live in a time where things that used to be barriers between people, between um, how people could communicate with each other, those barriers are disappearing. We live in a time where we have so many options in how we communicate, how we access information, what we can do with the information, that all kinds of possibilities are arising, especially to people whose possibilities have been limited in the past. And it reminded me of something that happened to me many years ago. Now, I'm going to tell another story, and then we'll close it off. But this happened actually with my first experience of, of being on the Internet. It was 1990. And although I'd been emailing in and out of the Internet for, for a couple of years, uh, when I first joined the State Department of Public Instruction here in Raleigh, I got my first real access to the Internet where I could actually surf the net. Now, you need to understand that in 1990, surfing the net did not look like it does today. It wasn't point and click. It was more like DOS, those of you who remember DOS. It was command line driven, and basically you typed in these secret incantations into the computer to move from place to place on the net and download files and, and so on. Um, one day, I got an email message. It was a, it was a um, mailing list message, so lots of people got copies of it. But it was announcing a brand new service on the net called IRC. Now, this was short for Internet Relay Chat, which is essentially chat today. We call it chatting. We call it uh, um, instant messaging, essentially, although it was, it was a little bit different. But basically, the, this email message described how you you set your computer, uh, logged into this server, and you could type in a message, and other people would read your message while you were typing it in, and they could type in responses, and you could read their response, so that you could you could literally carry on conversations with people online. And this was brand new and revolutionary back then. So that night I got home and uh, helped get the kids to bed and uh, finally went over to the computer, hooked up to the internet, and uh, switched over to this IRC server, which happened to be at North Carolina State University, which made perfect sense to me because it's our main engineering computer science school in the state. So I wasn't surprised. So I logged into this server and uh, immediately saw a list of letters, which represented different chat rooms or channels. They called them channels back then. And for each channel, there was a number indicating how many people were currently in that, that room, in that uh, channel. So uh, I chose channel C because it had, had a four there. There were four people already discussing something. And I didn't, and, and that was fine with me. I didn't want to go into a chat room or into a channel, excuse me, where I was going to have to start talking right away. I'd rather go into one where I could just sit back and, and watch. So I chose channel C, and uh, immediately these messages started scrolling up the screen. Well, I typed in hi, and they all typed in hi and continued on with their conversation. Now, I very quickly realized that they were computer science students, and they were talking about an exam that they had just taken. And they weren't being at all polite about it, but I continued to monitor the conversation. And finally, I interrupted and introduced myself, told them what I did for a living, and they very politely faked an interest in what I did for a living. And I asked them, what do you 
as people who are making a lot of use of technology, obviously, what do you think fifth graders could do with this level of access to the Internet? There was a long cyber pause because in 1990, nobody was thinking about fifth graders on the Internet. It was still pretty much the domain of universities and research centers and the military. But finally, one of them piped in and said, well, you know, there, there's a, that place down at NASA, you know, where you can log in, you type in a code, and you can get a list of all the upcoming shuttle flights and descriptions of their missions and their manifests. Finally, somebody said, well, you know, there's this, this finger, finger site at uh, uh, University of Washington State where you can type in uh, this command and get a list of all the earthquakes that have occurred around the world in the last two weeks and their longitudinal, latitudinal positions. And somebody said, well, you could take this information, take it over here, and you could do this with it. And, you know, they kept throwing all these ideas out, and they were getting really excited. You can tell when computer nerds are getting excited because their spelling improves. And they, they, uh, you know, finally somebody said, you know, this is so interesting. There's so many possibilities. Let's get together in real life and talk about it. And I said, fine, where are you going? Well, they gave me the name of a pizza joint, which I didn't recognize because I'd only lived in Raleigh for, for a couple of months. I figured it was one of the places across Hillsborough Street from the campus of uh, North Carolina State University. So, I, you know, I asked him for the address. They gave me the address. I didn't recognize that either. So I just asked, well, where are you guys anyway? And one of them answered, Reykjavik, Iceland. Well, I said, i got to take a rain check because I'm in North Carolina, USA, and there's no way I can make it. Uh, we continued to talk some more, though, and shared some more ideas, and finally it was, it was time for me to log off, and I said goodbye, and they all said goodbye and thanked them for the conversation. And when I disconnected from the Internet, I proceeded to pat myself on the shoulder because this was wonderful. I had, I had been talking with, with people from another continent for free, but it took me a couple of weeks to realize that, that that's not what was special about this experience, the fact that I was talking to people for free. What was really special was that, that I talked to these people for about 40 minutes before I knew that they were in another continent. For 40 minutes, it did not matter that we were a quarter of a planet apart from each other. For 40 minutes, it didn't matter that we had different, different native languages. It didn't matter that we grew up in different cultures. We were people, sharing ideas, adding to each other's experience. And this is a model for the world that we live in today, where, where again, those things that used to be barriers between what we wanted to achieve are, are beginning to melt away, and the possibilities of what we can achieve are growing. But it will only grow those possibilities will only make themselves evident if we are indeed preparing our kids for their future, for today, and not just preparing them for the 1950s. We need classrooms that look different. We need classrooms where students are doing different things, teachers are doing different things. We've got a lot of work to do in order to retool our classrooms for the kind of teaching and the kind of learning that our children need for their future. And we're wasting a lot of time 
when we're not investing in those classrooms, we need to invest in those classrooms. So anytime you have an opportunity to say, we need better classrooms, we need a different kind of classroom, anytime you have an opportunity to say, we need to pay for this, take that opportunity, because I can't think of anything more important to our future right now than our classrooms. Well, once again, I've gotten real deep, and I apologize for those of you who get bored with that sort of thing. I just get sort of preachy because I believe in this stuff. So we'll revisit McCall next time. Got a few more uh, interviews to plug in, and then we'll head off in other directions. So until then, I bid you all adieu.